Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Why don't we? Why don't we go ahead and I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak a little bit before we we uh, we read the the text. So why don't we go ahead and just pray right now over this word, Heavenly Father? We thank you, my God. Uh, for this this church here this morning that is congregated, my God, to worship you, Lord. And I pray, Father God, that, that now, my God, as we hear this word, my God, it would be directly from your lips, Father God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be on my lips this morning. And I pray, my God, that you would speak this word to your people, Father God, that we would be receptive, my God. I pray that you soften hardened hearts this morning, Father God, to hear your word, Father. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. Praise God. Um, I, 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 I want to mention this, this morning that, uh, you know, we don't, obviously you probably noticed that we don't have, uh, we, we don't have any words on the screen or anything like that. Uh, yesterday, last night during our service, the power of God, uh, <laughs> we, we, we noticed, at, uh, pa- pastor Maggie, she was, you know, she was our guest speaker last night and she was speaking and, and, uh, she was, she was prophesying. She was, she, she was, she was giving word and, um, Someone noticed that when she said, in the name of Jesus, and I don't know, it was, maybe it was great timing, but she said, in the name of Jesus, and then, and then they, they, they started noticing the projector smoking. So I took, that to, <laughs> I took that to mean because, you know, your pastor has been gunning for a, an LED wall for a long time. Lord, it must be time for that LED wall. Um, well, they're really expensive, though, so... You know, I'll pass that challenge to, to you. Um, amen. But, but we do, we do have a, we do have another projector, a backup projector that actually just came through brother, brother Herbert. He, he, he said, but it, it was weird. Cause it was like, it was a, it was a few weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago. He was like, Hey, I got an extra projector. I don't know if you could use it. And I was like, well, I mean, we'll take it, but no, I can't really use it. And, and, and now, um, it's perfect. So hopefully by next week we'll, we'll have that one installed. Amen. Amen. Um, before we get into the text this morning, and, and we have a long text this morning, and so it's not the best Sunday for us to, not to have a, a projector, uh, so you're going to have to follow along. If, if you don't have a Bible, um, get with somebody who has a Bible. If you've been coming to church for a while and you still don't have a Bible, this is church, uh, so you need, to get, uh, you need to get a Bible, amen? But uh, So we're going to be in the, in the book of 1 Kings, uh, chapter 18. And we're going to read a little bit this morning, but before we get into the text, I do want to get, give you a little bit of a context of what's going on here because, um, I mean, this story has, it, it's a very long story and we're not going to read the whole thing, but um, I've entitled the message this morning, Where is My Victory? Where's my victory? Maybe that's the question some of us have been asking lately. Where is my victory? And we're talking about the prophet Elijah, this man of God. Um, who had become very popular in his day because he was standing up against the evil king of Israel at the time, Ahab. Uh, Ahab is said to have been one of the most evil kings in Israel's history. He married a pagan woman by the name of Jezebel. And Jezebel had a lot of influence on Ahab. She immersed him in, in uh, uh, pagan idolatry. And so obviously that became problematic for the nation of Israel. This is why it's important who you marry. Right. It's important who you marry. Great men and great women of God have fallen away because of their love for the wrong person. There is such a thing as the wrong person. Right. I don't I don't know if there's like the one, but I know that there is a wrong person. And 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 when we look at the Bible, I mean, we, we, we can look at Samson, who had a heart for God. He had a calling over his life. Um, by God, but, but he, he, his heart was taken away from God because he gave his heart to the wrong person. Solomon as well, uh, one of the most, the wisest man's, uh, men in his day, he got caught up in his love for foreign women who didn't know God. They pulled him away from his love for God and Ahab in his marriage to Jezebel. So who you're in a relationship with matters. That might be a, a side note. This is another sermon here, but uh, if you're hoping to win somebody for Jesus, that's called missionary dating. And it, ne- it never works. It always works in the, in the other direction. So again, another, another, uh, another message, but Ahab and Jezebel, they were evil people and they were serving God's people. 
And so God raises up this man of God, Elijah, to go up against the king and bring word of doom and and word of warning to them that if they did not uh, turn from their sin, there would be consequences. And, And so in this particular portion of scripture, God sends Elijah to challenge Ahab and the prophets of Baal to see who the one true God is. At this point, Baal worship was so problematic uh, and it was so apparent in Israel and it was causing much of their destruction uh, to the people who were called to belong to God. And so Elijah and Ahab, they gather up all the people of Israel to, to, to kind of see this, this challenge, this face off of, of, of the gods. And, and Ahab gathers 50, uh, 450 prophets of Baal and only Elijah, the one prophet of Yahweh. And so the challenge is this, the, the prophets representing each, each God would cut up a bull and they would lay it on, a, on an altar and, and basically they were to call upon their God and, and, and whoever would consume the, the sacrifice would be the one true God. They, they, they were not going to kindle the fire or anything, they were just going to lay the, the bull on the, on the altar and they were going to call upon their God to consume the fire. And so the prophets of Baal, they're up and Baal does nothing, he is silent. And so picking up here, 1 Kings 18, 36. If you have it, give me an amen. amen. Again, we are going to read a little bit longer this, than you. And that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord that Ahab tells Jezebel everything that just happened and Jezebel swears on her life that uh, by this time tomorrow, Elijah, and he asked God that he might die, saying, it is. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food. Did he go in the strength of the Lord? He went in the strength of the food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Okay, now here is like our main text, uh, verse nine. You still with me, right? It says, then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even only I am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it into pieces, uh, uh, broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, we're going to stop it right there. (laughs) You can't take your seats. That's that's a lot to unpack. There's, There's a lot going on here. There's a lot that I think we could we could preach on just from from what I just read. Um, and I wanted to start with verse uh, with chapter 18, because, you know, God, God does this amazing miracle that's done to demonstrate to Israel that he is, in fact, the one true God. Right. That's why he did it. And one of the main reasons that miracles were done, if we look at the Bible, one of the main reasons that miracles were done was so that God would demonstrate his power to unbelieving people. You hear what I'm saying? God told Moses, the Egyptians shall know that I am God when I stretch out my hand over Egypt. Jesus did many miracles to be the signs and wonders of who he professed to be. Acts 2.22 says that Jesus was accredited by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. Miracles were done so that God would prove that he was in fact God. And I praise God for that because without the miracles, no one would believe. I mean, we are testaments of miracles. The very first miracle done, God said, let there be light. And he gave light to the universe and he created the heavens and the earth and he created the man and and he created the woman. We are a testament of, of miracles. And then when it comes to Christ, what did Paul say? He said, if Christ is not res- uh, resurrected, then your faith is, is, is futile. 
It, it, it's pointless. It doesn't mean anything. It's baseless. It's, it's faith, but it's not faith founded on truth. You can have faith and not have it founded on truth. So you, you have to have truth where your faith is founded upon. So he says, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then your faith is pointless. Miracles show us that the glory of God so that we may believe. The end of John's gospel, it says this, uh, it says, Jesus did many signs, but these are written so that you would believe. Now, does God only do miracles to demonstrate his power? No, I believe that God uh, also does miracles uh, when he when he's moved by compassion. We see that all over the New Testament. We see that God, uh, Jesus is moved to do a miracle because of somebody's faith. And. I'm believing for miracles. We just sang that song. It's the house of miracles. We've been, we've been, you know, we've been hearing these words that we're going to see miracles and we're going to see miracles and we're going to see miracles. And, and I believe that. And I know you believe that. But can I tell you that the, the reason that God wants to do miracles isn't for you. The main reason that we see God doing miracles, at least on a grand scale, is because he is demonstrating his power to people who have not yet seen it. And I'm telling you this for a reason, because many times as believers, we, we, we believe that we are entitled to miracles. We believe that because we are the sons and daughters of God, we are entitled to see signs and wonders. Now, I'm not trying to discourage anybody today, okay? Because, again, I am believing for a lot of miracles, I am believing for undeniable guidance in mighty ways. I, I have sat down here uh, at, at church, here in these, uh, at this altar, just praying, you know, during the week when no one else is here. And I say, God, I want to hear your voice. Have you, ever, have you ever told God that? Lord, I want to hear your voice audibly. I don't want to, like, think I heard your voice. I don't want to get, get, like, a text message and, like, think, oh, this is you, God. No, I, I want to hear the voice of God. Amen. I want to hear the voice of God. And I, and I challenge God and I'm like, God, I mean, your word uh, says to, 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 to seek you and to worship you in spirit and in truth and to seek you more. And, and, and I'm doing basically what Moses uh, asked you uh, to do to show him your glory. I mean, what, what more do you want from me? Like I'm, I, I want it. So give it. Right? I mean, isn't that something that we preach? Like you have to want God more. You have to, you have to go deeper. You, if you want to grow, you have to go deeper. Well, okay, I'm going deeper, God. And then I close my eyes and I'm like, okay, God, I, I want to hear your voice. And I'm quiet for like 10 seconds. And then I open up one eye. I'm like, God, is it going to happen? And sometimes it doesn't happen. Well, it's never happened. I've never audibly heard the thundering voice of God. And maybe God knows that I can't handle it. But, but I, what I'm saying is I, I am believing for miracles. I, because I think we all desire to see God move in powerful ways in our lives. And it can be very frustrating when God doesn't put on that wow factor for us because we kind of feel like, man, you know, my faith kind of deserves it. Our faithfulness has deserved seeing a miracle from God. I have been faithful to you, Lord. I have believed I have had faith bigger than a mustard seed, God. And sometimes I'm telling the mountain to move and the mountain's still there. And so this is another example right here in chapter 18 where God demonstrates his power before Israel. And he, and you know, Israel had be, uh, become so, so immersed in, in, in pagan uh, religion during the reign of, of Ahab. And so God wanted to call his people back by showing them that he, not Baal, was the one true God. He, not Baal, alone had all the power. And he shows them this miracle in a great and undeniable way. You know, that you know, there's sometimes, there's miracles where, you know, let's be honest, like, you're not really sure if it's an actual miracle. It could have been a miracle. It could have been something else. And I think that we have gotten so used to watering down the word miracle because we desire a miracle so badly. And so we have loosened the word, and I say this all the time, if you, tell, if you say, man, it's a miracle she got married, that's not a miracle, right? It, it might be very improbable. It might be, you know, 
but, but it's, not a, it's not a miracle, you know. <laughs> a miracle is something humanly impossible. It is something only God can do. By definition, that is what a miracle is. And so this is why Elijah was so confident when he challenged the prophets of Baal. Because Elijah knew that Baal wasn't God. He wasn't afraid that Baal was going to come through and do this miracle because Baal was nothing. He was a false God. He had no real power. But Yahweh, he knew, had all the power. And so, and so he does this miracle that is completely undeniable, which causes the people of Israel, the ones who had fallen away, they're watching this miracle. And what do they say? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. In the Hebrew, they were literally saying the name of Yahweh. Yahweh, he is God. Not Baal, not, not, not the prophets of Asherah, not, not, not Allah, no, not, not Maha, uh, Yahweh. Yahweh alone is God. After seeing this miracle, they believed. And now this is great when God does a miracle that serves as a testimony to who he is. That is awesome. I'm, I'm reminded of the man who was possessed with the legion of demons to whom Jesus said after he was healed. What did he say? I want you to go back into your hometown and to your friends and to your families and to your tios and your tias. And I want you to tell them of the great mercy that has been shown to you today. That's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful when other people get miracles, when other people get their prayers answered. I don't think you could be a true-blooded Christian and not celebrate when a brother gets a miracle, when a sister gets a miracle. Like if somebody gets a miracle that they have been waiting for, that, that, that they have been needing, and you're jealous of it, I, I, I question your heart a little bit. Because as a true brother and sister of Christ, you should rejoice when somebody gets healed. You should rejoice when someone has that baby after they thought they were, it was not going to happen. You should rejoice. You should rejoice. But just because you rejoice doesn't mean that you're not left with the question, what about me? Where's my miracle? Where's my victory? Like God, you know, you did a miracle for the unbeliever. Why didn't you do it for the believer? You know what I'm saying? You know, like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll grab a meal for somebody, somebody who, who's hungry, somebody who comes in, they're asking for money. I'm like, I, I can't give you money, but I'll buy you a meal. I'll buy you whatever you want. And I go and I, and I get them a, I, I, I get them a, a cheeseburger with a root beer, right? And I go and I buy them a meal. But then my daughter say, hey, I'm hungry. And I'm like, we have food at the house. <laughs> Doesn't that seem a little unfair, you know? Doesn't that seem messed up? If I could feed a stranger, if I could, if I could feed somebody who is not my child, but I'm saying no to my child when they want to go out to eat, doesn't that seem unfair? Like, what about mine? Where, where's my hamburger? Where's my cheeseburger and my root beer, you know? So, yes, I, I think we can celebrate. I can celebrate at my brother's healing. I can, I can rejoice at my sister's salvation. I am happy when you get your answered prayer. But, Lord, I've been faithful. I've been faithful for a long time. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been in prayer over this thing longer than that person has been saved. Where is my victory that I have been waiting for? You ever feel like that? I mean, sometimes it, it can feel like you've been forgotten about like like the brother of the uh, of the prodigal son right his dad uh, threw him a feast his dad threw uh, the, the prodigal son a feast for the return uh, for the return of the son that left his father's house and sinned and wasted away his inheritance and the brother's like dad i never even left I, i've been i've been here the whole time i've been faithful i've been responsible i've done everything that you've asked me to do and yet you reward him where's my celebration where's my reward this, this is how the Bible describes Elijah's moment. Bible scholars believe that he fell into a state of depression. He was hopeless. He wanted to die. He was tired. He was scared. He was ready to give up. He says, God, this, it's enough. I'm done. 
Now, you wouldn't expect that from someone who just had the privilege of being used by God in this mighty act of God. Like, I'm, I'm talking about the miracle of, of chapter 18. Why does Elijah feel this way after God uses him to, to deliver such a miracle? I mean, this, this is a win if you're a prophet. Imagine, imagine God telling you to do something that, that you're not really sure how it's going to go. Like, you just have to kind of trust him enough to do it anyway. I've been prompted to, uh, by the Holy Spirit to just to pray for someone that I, I don't even know. Like, God, are you sure? I've been prompted to ask somebody if they know Jesus, a stranger. I'm an introvert, man. And you want me just to strike up the deepest conversation possible with somebody I don't even know? I have been prompted by the Holy Spirit to, 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 to pray for a woman to regain her sight. And I'm like, God, if I'm going to ask this, you need to back me up. Because I don't want to ask this unless you're going to do the miracle. Imagine being the only... Pro- I, want, I want to kind of paint you the picture of, of Elijah. Imagine being the only prophet left or the only Christian left in America. Hopefully that day never comes. But imagine you are the only one. You are the last man or woman standing. And, and, and you have become an enemy of the state. Everybody's against you. Nobody likes you. You're a social outcast. Everybody thinks you're weird because you still believe in God. And then God tells you, I want you to go to the White House and I want you to set up the stage for the whole nation to see because I am about to do a miracle. You know how scary that would be? I'd be like, God, with all due respect, if I'm going to do this, you, 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 you better do the miracle, God. Like, with all due respect, but you got to do the miracle. You got to back me up because I'm not going to go all the way over here to Washington to set up the stage and talk you up in front of the whole nation and then you don't do the miracle. This, why, this is why Elijah was so bold, man, because no one, he had no one in his corner. He had nobody in his corner. I, you know, I, and I know at church, you know, we, we, we say, you know, all, all you need is God. You need nobody else. All you need is God. But we say that in the presence of other believers. We say that in the church where everybody else is saying amen. Elijah had no one else. No one else was willing to step up and represent God. Elijah is up against, he's not, look, he's not just up against Baal. Baal, he knew was nothing. Baal has no power, but he's up against a culture who has Baal ingrained in their identity. It's like Christians going into Islamic nations knowing that, that Allah has no power, but I know that, that people believe that he does, and if I profess the name of Jesus, I can be killed for my faith. That's what Elijah was going up against. I'd be terrified. If I were Elijah, I mean, sometimes we, we're afraid to tell people we even go to church. <laughs> but, but Elijah does it. Look, he, he does a miracle. He's, he's obedient. He's bold. He's full of faith and power. And he goes up against these 450 prophets of Baal. And you know what? God shows up. God shows up. And the people of Israel, they begin to turn back to God because they realize Baal is nothing. God is everything. You know, there's going to be people who walk in this place who realize homosexuality is nothing. God is everything. Transgenderism is nothing. God is everything. My own ambition, my own desires are nothing. God is everything. When people come into the room and they see God's power on display, it is life. Life changing for them. Those are the types of miracles we're talking about seeing. God is going to begin doing something and we're going to be a part of it and we're going to watch it and we're going to give God all honor and glory for it. But it's going to be for the people who don't yet believe. I was telling God this morning, Lord God, I, I want to I want to pastor people to you. I believe that that, that that is just, that's my pastor's calling. That's my pastor's heart. I want to, I want to lead people to you. And yes, I want to, I want to disciple and I want to grow the people that we have, right? We, we can't forget about the brotherhood. We got to increase the kingdom. But man, my heart is just right there at the doors. 
Let's get people in here so that they could get to know the God that I know. And those things are coming. And Elijah got to be a part of this. He got to be a part of, of, of people in Israel turning back to God. And, and this is why I say Elijah should have been on a high right now, man. Because it, 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 it's beautiful when God uses you to do a miracle for someone else. I, I, I preached on something like this recently when I spoke on foundational faith. Faith that, that isn't for your benefit. It's for the benefit of somebody else. It's your faith. It's your faith that brings somebody to Jesus. And it doesn't have to be faith. It can be anything. God can use your, 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 your kindness. God can use your, your wisdom. God will use your hands. God can use anything for his honor and glory if you present it to him. And let me tell you, man, it's beautiful when he does. It's beautiful. Yesterday we had our marriage conference. And if, 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 you, weren't, if you weren't in, uh, in attendance, man, it, it was a blessing. And God uses things like that to, to bring marriages that are kind of on, they're in the struggle right now. They're kind of in, 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 in a hard time. God uses things like this to, to bring them back, to, to restore. It's a privilege, you know, when, when, when a sermon convicts somebody enough to bring them to Jesus. Knowing that I'm a part of that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to be used in someone else's victory. But sometimes you just wonder, well, but what about mine? Where's my victory? Believe it or not, pastors go home after Sunday service. A Sunday service full of victory and power and healing and salvation. We go back to our problems. Prophets, they go home after giving prophetic word. That demonstrates the power of God. They go back and they go back to their issues. You don't have to be in ministry. Maybe you've just been in prayer for someone. Maybe you've been discipling somebody or counseling somebody. And, and, then, and then they receive their victory. But you, even though you have been the one who's been faithful. Even though you have been praying for yourself and for them. Even though you have been devoted. You have been prayerful. God has not done for you what he's done for them. Where's my victory? And being used by God for other people's benefit, man, let me tell you, it gets, it gets tiring, man. I think every working Christian, working Christian, will go through an Elijah moment where they say, God, I'm kind of done here, Lord. Uh, this, is, this is too much. I have been beat down and haven't received anything from me. See, Elijah... You still with me? Elijah was in a state of loneliness. That was his issue. If you, if, if you read his, if you read through his story, that's what he was facing. He was, he was lonely. That's, I think that's the victory that Elijah was looking for. He says repeatedly, I am the only prophet left. He tells God that he brings his cry out to God. I am only left only me, only me. He wasn't saying that as a compliment. He wasn't saying that to boast. He was saying that in frustration. It's just me doing all this work. It's just me coming here on Sundays and turning on the lights and stacking the chairs and turning on the sound and preaching and, and, and leading worship. There was, a, there was a time where that was my life. I'm lonely. I'm the only one committed to your work. That was, that was the victory that he was looking for. And so the symptoms that Elijah faced, depression, it's depressing not having someone. Elijah had no one for a long time. Another symptom is tiredness. When you're lonely, you're the one doing all the work. You got no help. He's tired. And so I think the victory Elijah was looking for were just people in his corner. I don't think Elijah wanted to be fighting Ahab. I think he wanted Ahab to see the power of God and be changed by it as well. That was his whole assignment to go to Ahab and to restore the people of Israel. 
If, if you can do it through a king, you can do it through the nation. Because where there is a corrupt king, you're going to have a corrupt nation. Where you, have, where you have a godly king, where you have godly leadership, you're probably going to have godly people. And so Elijah was just focused on Ahab. Ahab, I want you to see the power of God. And I'm about to do this miracle. Oh, and you're going to see it and you're going to change. And, we're, and all these 450 prophets, uh, we're, we're going to replace them with, with 450 prophets of Yahweh. And it's going to be awesome. And then the opposite of what he wants to happen, happened. Ahab hardens his heart even more. And he goes and he tells this crazy woman, you know what Elijah did? What'd he do, baby? He dissed your prophets. He punked your prophets. He slayed your prophets. He he slayed your God, Baal. Are you sure Baal's God? And Jezebel, she's like, you know what? We're going to kill this man. We're going to kill this man. And so instead of Elijah getting a victory as well, he ends up fleeing again by himself, feeling as if nothing has changed for him, even after God demonstrated his power for Israel. Where's my victory? Where's my solution? I imagine Elijah saying, God, I I came here to do your work and now I'm, Now I'm fleeing because they're trying to kill me for doing the work that you asked me to do. It just, it feels unfair sometimes. You know, for the past two weeks, uh, can I just tell you just full transparency, man? I've been, I've been stressed, man. I've been stressed. There's been some things that have come up um, that have just kind of been a lot to deal with. And, and it's been stressful for me. It's been a little worrisome, not going to lie. And what I really hate about this, what I hate about the fact that, that when I'm stressed is I give so much attention to it. Because it, it takes away my focus from, from what I'm called to do. And it's funny because I, I shared with you at the beginning of the year that like my word for this year, like the thing that God is really calling me to do is focus more. And so month one, January, I'm, I'm like super distracted. The, the, the thing that's been attacked is my focus. And so I've been asking God, Lord, I, I just, I need a miracle. I just, I need a breakthrough. And I'm like, God, just do it already. Just do it already. Like, why are you making me wait? Like, you know that if I wait another year, I'm still going to believe in you. Are, are you like testing my faith? I, I'm, I'm good. You ever tell that to God? Like, God, just like, if I win the lottery, I know I won't be spoiled. I, I, I know, I know I won't be greedy, right? Like, God, just, just come. You don't need to test me. Like, for real, I, I know this. I know the material. And so I'm telling God, Lord, why, why are you doing this, Lord? I, I've been faithful. I've been devoted to you. Let, let, me, let me just, let me have a breakthrough. Show of hands. You know, I like doing these little questions. Of all the people in the room, how many of you are looking for some type of breakthrough or a miracle in your life? Just raise your hand. If you're, have you been asking God? Yeah. Look, look, at, look, look at all the people in the room, man, raising their hands. Look at how many people are are in need of something. Every single one of us. You're probably praying for things that you haven't even shared with anybody. You're probably consumed in your mind with things that, that no one else knows about. And, and, and you're praying daily, God, give me a miracle. God, g- give me a breakthrough. God, I, I, I need you to show up in a mighty, mighty way. And look, I'm going to keep on asking God for a miracle. Anybody with me? Yeah. We're going to keep doing it. I'm going to bug, 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 just like Ellie does me, man. When she bugs me until I just give in. One day, God's going to be like, you know what, here. <laughs> but here's what I want you to understand. And I, the, the, the development of my sermon today, it, it was, it's kind of slow, but I'm kidding. I'm getting to my main point here. I want you to understand something that Elijah's story teaches. You ready? Sometimes we're looking for victories in places God is not. In our desperation, in our impatience, in our emotion, in in our situation, we begin to, quote unquote, hear God. We do this. We do this. I think God is saying. I, I feel God is saying. 
We try to interpret our situation as God's voice because we're so desperate for an answer. And so maybe you lose your job and you're like, well, maybe God wants us to start a business. Maybe. Maybe not. Or you get sick and you're like, God, God must be doing something in the sickness. I hate to be the one to break it to you, but sometimes people just get sick. Sometimes bad things happen in a fallen world. Who would have thunk it? Our job is not to figure out what God is trying to do. Our job is to simply be faithful to God through it all. That's what our job is. Stop trying to analyze everything. Stop trying to interpret uh, God's voice because of a situation that you're in. And thinking, well, God must be doing this if I'm here. We try to, we try to reason God's voice into our situation. And then we ask for the miracles. God, give me a miracle. God, give me a miracle that is undeniably you. Give me the biggest breakthrough I have ever seen. You did it for sister so-and-so. You can do it for me. You did, you did it for him. I, let, me, let me have a breakthrough like he had. Let me get a transformation like he had. Where is my victory? And so I imagine Elijah thinking, God, just a few weeks ago, you did this mighty miracle for your people so that they could receive salvation. And they did it. Meanwhile, your only prophet, faithful prophet, is here running for his life. And yet you've not delivered me. And, and man, these miracles Elijah was used in, man, I mean, he was using so many miracles. Causing it to, to, to cease to rain for three and a half years and then causing it to rain after, after the drought and, and resurrecting the, the widow's son and sending the ravens to feed Ahab. I mean, all these miracles done for other people. Lord, where's mine? Where's my miracle? Where's my victory? And so what we have to realize about Elijah, because Elijah, man, if you read the story of Elijah, this, guy, this is a bad boy, man. He was, a, he was a man of God, mighty man of God, used in mighty ways. And so Elijah was used to seeing the great and mighty. It was normal for him. It was normal for Elijah to see miracles for other people because that was his ministry. That's what he was doing. And anyone who has seen repeatedly the power of God knows God for doing great and mighty things, especially people in ministry. You know, you don't think that as a pastor... When, when, when I see people get transformation and when I see people get saved week after week after week after week, I'm like, God, but what about my family? What about my cousins? What about my sister? What, what about the people that I, I have been praying for? I celebrate at their victory. I celebrate at a salvation. But what about the people that I've been praying for? I've seen you do it. It's not like you can't do it. Why can't you do it for me? People who have seen the power of God, people who are around the power of God, many times they expect the same power of God to be deposited into their lives. And that was Elijah. This man known for doing these, these great miracles by God. And so he was so used to seeing God do big and powerful things that he was probably expecting for God to do the same thing for him. And, and so, so, so many of us, we expect to find God in a miracle or a breakthrough. You hear me? We all, we're, we're looking for God in the miracle or the breakthrough, but so many times we, try, we don't look for him in the, in, in the most obvious place, in the quiet. Somebody say, quiet. Stillness, peace. Look at verse nine, which says, then he came to the cave and he lodged in it and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They throw down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword and I, only I am left and they seek to take away my life. So you see, Elijah, he's appealing to his credentials. I've been jealous for you, God. I have been jealous for you. 
And, and, and the people have forsaken you and only I am left, but I have still been doing your work. And now they're trying to kill me. He's tired. He's frustrated. He's tired. He's lonely. He's looking for a victory for himself. I mean, who can blame a man? The dude deserves it, but it could be that he's been looking for miracles in his own life. Like those that God has done for other people. Now, going back to what I said earlier, God might not always do a miracle for those who already believe. But just because God doesn't do a miracle doesn't mean that God isn't still doing something. You didn't hear me. Just because God hasn't done a miracle doesn't mean he's not doing something. How many of us know that God can do big things? How many of us know that God can also do small things? We give God credit for the big things. Do we give him credit for the small things? For the, small, for the things that we don't even realize he's doing? The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit can lead you to leave your house five minutes later than you wanted to. Because he knows that if you left five minutes before you wanted to, you might be involved in that car accident that involved in somebody's fatality. He was protecting you. God was, was working and you didn't even notice it. That's the power of God in the small. God, made it, God might have made it impossible for you to get that job that you really want. Now you're crying. You're like, I'm never going to find a job. Nobody wants me. Nobody loves me. And, and, and God could have made it impossible for you to get that job because he knew that if you got that job, you're going to be missing church on Sundays. And right now you need to be going to church on Sundays, girl. That was God working in the small. God works in the small. Just like he works in the big. But we don't look for him in the small. We just look for him in the big. I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know if Claudia and Joel have ever thought about this before. But, but I, I don't know. I, I, kind of, I kind of see it. Um, Claudia came to sing at our church many years ago for the very first time through a connection from my dad and, the, and, and her manager at the time. As, uh, they, she, he was managing uh, Claudia as an artist. And... So because of this connection between my dad and her manager, Claudia gets invited to sing at her church and it was love at first sight for my brother, Joel. And now they're married and they got two kids. Such a, such a small thing, such a small, a small little connection that really they had nothing to do with. God works in the small. And so I, I, I love what, what God tells Elijah in verse 11, he says, I want you to go out and I want you to stand on the mountain before the Lord. And God shows him three things. Behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore in the mountains and broke it into pieces. But what does it say? The Lord was not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, the Hebrew word means calmness. Sometimes God is in the calmness. He's in the stillness. It's not just the big things. It's also the small things. And so many times we're only looking for God in, in, in the great and mighty and the chaos and the storms and the cancer and the job loss and the death. And we try to reason God's voice into our big situations because he's a big God. Well, God must be doing something if there is weight to my situation. But God sometimes isn't trying to tell you anything in those big circumstances. He's simply trying to get your attention so that then he can speak to you. How many of us, man, would have been Elijah seeing the wind ripping through the mountain, trying to interpret what that means? Oh, man, my God, that oh, he's going to be tearing apart the mountains that stand before me, says the Lord. Oh, and the earthquake. Oh, man, God is going to shake the foundations of all those who come contrast of me. Oh, and the fire. God is going to consume all of my enemies. Oh, shut up. And God wasn't even in that. He was in the quiet. 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 He wasn't in the chaos. He wasn't in the storm. He wasn't in the cancer. He wasn't, he wasn't in, he wasn't in the noise. He was in the quiet. 
But we're always looking for God in the big because he's such a big God. And you know, sometimes he will be in the big because he is a big God and he does miracles and he does mighty things. But sometimes God doesn't need you to interpret your situation. He just needs you to listen. Listen to what I am saying. You know, sometimes as believers, you know, men and women of God who have been at this a long time, we've been Christian for a long time. Our answers don't come in the form of big miracles. They come in quiet and intimate moments with our God. We know how to be intimate with God. How much, I want you to stand this morning. Worship team, can you come with me? Church, if you've ever had a moment with God, you know how to be intimate with him. You know how to, how to let God speak into your life. And that's something that a lot of people can't say. Can I tell you that, that, that people in the world, they're not having quiet and intimate moments with God. They're not, ha- they're, they're not having those quiet, intimate moments. They're not seeking God. So sometimes God needs to shake them up. God needs to rattle them. God needs to do something to get their attention. I'm reminded of, of the testimony of my cousin who said he came to the, uh, he came to the Lord after a near-death experience. So many testimonies come out of big moments. So many marriages are restored out of a big hardship. So many people come back to Jesus after nearly dying from cancer or disease. They need that big moment, just like Paul on his way to Damascus to persecute more Christians. Jesus needed to get his attention. But for the believers, for the faithful, for those who seek him in spirit and in truth, you're still looking for God to do something huge when all God wants you to do is seek him in the quiet. Seek him in your intimacy. Go into your room. Go into your closet and begin to just speak to God. You know what? God will do a miracle in your life. God will do some awesome, powerful things in your life. I'm I'm not telling you not to ask for those things. I am asking for those things. But sometimes God is simply in the quiet. And maybe you've been asking God, Do the miracle, do the miracle, do the miracle. Give me direction, give me direction, give me direction. You know what, you know what God tells Elijah to do afterwards? This is what he says. I kept you on your toes for a while. This is what he says. You remember, you you, you remember you remember the crazy things that Jesus did to, to, to unbelievers? You know, he took some mud, put on some eyes, and they were able to see. He tells some people, I want you to go bathe and come out. You won't have leprosy anymore. Some crazy things. Like, really? I'm going to do all that? And so sometimes we, we come to God, and we're like, God, speak. I'll speak from experience. And I'm waiting for something crazy. Tell me something crazy, God. I want you to go march around the church seven times. Really, God? That's weird. But all right, I'll do it. That's, that, that's, kind, of, that's kind of like what we want. we want. We want God to tell us something, something crazy because we know miracles happen from crazy. But sometimes for the believers, for the mature, for the faithful, for the devoted, for the lovers of Christ, he speaks to you like an adult. And the things that you wish didn't make sense simply do make sense. God, get me out of debt. Pay your bill, says the Lord. Keep doing it. 
That's how it happens. Lord, I, I, I want my ministry to be realized. I, I want to elevate. Read your Bible. Keep praying. Look what, look what he tells. Like, I, I don't even want to read it because it's not even that powerful. It's very just, it's just instructions. He tells Elijah, go and return to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. God just answered his prayer of loneliness. I'm giving you prophets. I'm giving you kings. I'm giving you 7,000 righteous men who have not bowed down to Baal. You're over here complaining that you're lonely. I'm giving you what you want. And it was out of simple whisper. God was not in the wind. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. He was in the stillness. You can't find God can't find God when you're not looking for him, at least in the stillness, in the stillness. We want, we want, we want the great and mighty. We want, we want the, the awestruckness. We want, we want, we want the, the, the powerful, but God is just saying, look, I want you just to speak to me and seek me and I will give you clarity and I will give you direction and I will give you rest and I will give you peace and I will give you hope. I will give you all the things that you need. If you just seek me and if you just speak to me one-on-one, that's the way that glory, uh, that, that Moses saw the glory of God by seeking him face to face. He just went up to a mountain. It wasn't anything crazy. He just went up and he spoke to God and God descended that if you want to see the glory of God over your life, seek him like Moses. Miracles are coming. And, I, and I'm praying for your miracle. But I'm praying for the miracles of those who really need a miracle. Those who need a miracle because if they don't get the miracle, they will not know the God that I know. And if they don't know the God that I know, they, their souls are lost forever. They need it a little bit more than I do. But God has not forgotten about you. God has heard your prayers. Seek him in the stillness. Seek him in spirit and in truth. Oh, we worship you, my God. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again, and God bless.